0: and welcome to the taking the charge podcast with you from regensburg germany i'm david hein thank you for stopping by thank you for finding us thank you for supporting us and it's uh always appreciated that you, that you guys come back and listen to the show and uh guys and ladies of course uh great interview today we talked to a um a friend in the game uh boki nakbar the uh the uh Managing Director of the EuroLeague Players Association, so I think the NBA Players Association, the uh, EuroLeague version of it, if you will, um, and uh, talks about a variety of issues uh, and uh, the EuroLeague framework uh, agreement uh, that was uh, put into being this this uh, past summer uh, and what that means, uh, the relationship with the EuroLeague. Uh, sort of uh, how it's grown, changed, developed over the years for him, a former uh, EuroLeague star for many years, um, and uh, don't really talk about his career, his uh, playing career very much. Uh, There's uh, plenty of uh, podcasts or articles or everything out there, and so I just kind of wanted to focus on the other side uh, of the the issue, uh, if you will. Also talk a little bit about the uh, FIBA uh, FIBA Euro uh, FIBA Euro League um, dispute. Uh, just kind of touch on that, um, and then do a little bit of uh, 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 talk about the Slovenian. Uh, national team. Obviously, he was a, lo- a, a part of the Slovenian uh, national team for a long, long, long time. Uh, many, many uh, competitions and uh, uh, wanted to get his opinion of, of what uh, what they're doing right now, especially what uh, Luka Doncic uh, has done. Um, and uh, so hope you guys uh, enjoy that. Uh, before we do uh, get into that um, each week, we also have a, a Taking the Charge Prospects podcast uh, that is available uh, via uh, paid subscription you you know you can find that here on the sub stack there's a uh, there's a button in the post for this where you can subscribe to that uh, that is a uh, interview with a prospect every week also as part of the paid subscription you get the archives of the talking of talking talent uh, where we talk about uh, nine players uh, each week, uh, with uh, with our six, with our six uh, scouts uh, that we're working with, and uh, so uh, this week uh, had had it, it was out on yesterday. Uh, we had a talk with uh, Alexander Sar, the uh, two thousand five born French uh, power forward who is playing uh, this uh, season with the Overtime Elite Series in the United States, left uh, Real Madrid, um, and so here's a here's a taste of that um and uh get back to you in a second you know this was a pretty pretty popular uh decision um you know a lot of people wondered maybe what made you decide on overtime elite you know and and instead of staying in in europe i mean especially because you were with real madrid
1: yeah so uh it it was uh it wasn't that tough of of a decision because uh uh, when when I talk with the coaches, I just realized that we're like the best coaching staff I, I would have been around in my whole life. We have a, a lot of skill coach. We have a coach Kevin Oli, who gives a lot of energy on and off the court. He just shows support to you, and he just here to make you better and to make you a better person and a better player. So I, I really wanted to join the program because because of of that and the, the level of competition i have around me i play with uh with top prospects and top player from all around the world
0: okay so um that's you know just one little taste of it um uh, if you want please go over to uh takingthecharge.substack.com and you can uh, be a paid subscriber and listen to the full interview of that and like i said also get all of the archived uh, material for the Talking Talent uh, podcast as well. Uh, all right, so let's get to uh, Boki uh, uh managing director of the Euro League Players Association. Uh, after that, uh, we're going to head into the music and, and, and let you have the rest of your uh, the rest of your day for yourself. Uh, so, really, really appreciate you taking your time and uh, supporting us. And uh, talk to you next week. All right, so on the show is uh, Boki Nachbar, the managing director of the League Players Association and uh, a guy that uh, saw a, a little bit uh, at the end of his career and uh, always enjoyed talking to him. Uh, and uh, any, any chance I have, I, I enjoy being able to talk about the game uh, with a guy who's uh, been, uh, been a lot of different places, done a lot of different things. Uh, uh, Boki, thanks for coming on.
1: Oh thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Well,
0: why don't we first start off with uh you know you're the uh, managing director of the EuroLeaks Players uh, Association. So why not to why don't we just get your first opinion of 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 the state of the of the Euroleague um you know uh you know, you look at teams like FS uh, and and, uh, and, uh, and and Moscow, Ceska, Moscow, kind of struggling, uh, and then we see sort of a sort of a, an emergence of the French teams with Esbel and Monaco both being in the playoff spots right now. Um, you know, you know former powers like uh, Panathinaikos kind of struggling um just maybe your, your thoughts in general about uh about the the season and uh i'm not saying you know i like this team or that team or anything but just your general thoughts about the about the league you know we're we're, we're at the time of the recording eight weeks into the season
1: yeah well it's uh it's um you know still relatively early on you know there's some a lot of teams just trying to find their 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 true rhythm and and and, and identity um, you know, like you mentioned, you have some teams who are, you know, the established teams with, with the core that they kind of um, brought from previous seasons, like Cheska Moscow and, and, and FS, you know, struggling early on. Um, you know, some new teams that are popping up, I would include Olympiacos in this group. I wouldn't say new team, but, you know, the team that definitely um, raised some eyebrows in, in, a, in a positive way early on, you know, won a won lot of games and uh, is looking like a, like a real contender. Um, and um, yeah, you mentioned French teams. You know, Milano playing really well. Barcelona, kind of like where we where we thought they're going to be. Um, so I think it just shows the strength of the league. To be honest, you know, to have loaded teams like FS, uh, you know, um, basically reigning champs, and, and Chesca with a, with a team that is always aiming to to win the league. Um, struggling early on and not being a cakewalk for them. I think it shows the strength of the league, you know, there is no easy games. That's a fact, you know, um, maybe a few seasons ago we could say that there was a team or two that, um, you know, was considered a team that was um, mainly participating. Um, I don't think that exists anymore, to be honest, at least not in this version of or, or this year's version of the league. You know, every every league, is every team is tough. Um, even the newcomers in this league, you know, Unix, Kazan or, or Monaco, they can beat teams, they can beat top teams in any given night. And that just eliminates the the the, fact of, the factor of, of having uh, an easy game. It does not exist. Anybody can beat anybody and that's what makes it so exciting. So, um, honestly, not surprised. Um, I, I, I expected that some teams will struggle early on, um, you know, even the established teams. Um, injuries obviously are in, in, you know, a big factor of it, um, schedule sometimes is a big factor of it, but I think once the dust settles and we get into the second part of the season, we're going to be able to pinpoint which teams are truly the ones that, that could aim to win the championship.
0: You, you played in this competition a long time, um, both before and, and after your NBA career and, and you've, uh, you're a fan of the game and, 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 and everything, but, you know, for the last three Last three years, you've also been uh, the head of the of the Year League Players Association. So, you also see the game in uh, from a different standpoint. And I was I was just kind of wondering how how has how has your game watching uh, changed at all? I mean, uh, I, I imagine at the beginning, you know, kind of like, man, we need to get rid of these stickers, or mm. you know, we need to do you know things yeah, like that. Yeah, how we yeah. can you know how we can improve? The game. Maybe just talk about how how the the. If, uh, you know, the evolvement, uh, the evolution of, of, of how you kind of watch, uh, yearly games now that you're, you know, I'm not going to see on the other side because it's not entirely correct, but you have a different role yeah, yeah. in there, in the space.
1: Interesting, interesting question. You know, I, I see a game from uh, a couple of different angles. Um, I see a game, like you mentioned, the, the stickers on the court, you know, I'm, I'm still keeping an eye on that. Like there's, there's the rule now that allows, um, Two stickers on the baseline, for example, right? One is usually the Euroleague, um, I mean the uh, Turkish Airlines Euroleague logo, and the other one is whatever the home team chooses. And if that those two are too close together and then don't, don't allow space under the basket, I'm already picking my phone and, and contacting Euroleague, saying, "Hey, this needs to get fixed." So I have this kind of a, a deformation already, right? Noticing these details. Um, the the other one is um, the, the more competition related. Um, you know, I, I played for FC Barcelona and um, basketball team, so I always feel closer to that team, and I always like to see them play well. Um, so it's, I I will never deny to say that I'm not a fan of the of the club, and I don't like to see that club win. Uh, even though professionally, I have to detach myself and uh, and and be neutral. Um, so I'll, I like to watch those games. Um, and uh, and on the other hand, there's still a lot of my. Former teammates or um, you know former opponents playing, so I'm always interested to see how they're doing. Um, and and individually, um, I'm always also considering what's next, right? What's the next generation bringing? And I'm watching this the young guys that are proving themselves in the league and and uh, and uh, um, you know making the name for themselves. Um, so. Um, trying to, I wouldn't say necessarily scout them, but kind of see where where this is going, where the next generation is, what the next generation is bringing, and what the at least from the competition side, the league is going to look like in the next next few years or or even a decade. So for me, it's a couple of different angles. And then if you add into the equation that I have now two daughters that both play basketball, and they want to watch games, and they are asking me tons of questions while the game is going on, you can kind of imagine how. My head <laughs> was in my head when the game is happening and then switching be- between games and all that. It gets, it gets interesting, but um, I enjoy it. The good thing is that uh, I'm not uh, attached professionally to any team, so I don't live or die with the results, so to say. Mm-hmm. I watch the game completely calm and, and I watch it from like a fan um, position at the end of the day. And uh, whoever wins, it's for me. It's okay. You know, for me, the most important thing is that the things that that we're working on with the player association are functioning. And uh, when the game comes, it's in, it's basically a time to enjoy for me. You know, so so I'm really grateful for that.
0: Uh, you mentioned the players association, and we've already we've already t- uh, mentioned it a couple of times. And that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to get you on here. Um, uh, you're the managing. Uh, director of it, and and uh, you know, you kind of put it together back in 2018. And uh, for for those people who who are kind of looking at your background, you know, go back and listen to other podcasts or whatever. I mean, Boki has a uh, you know has a uh, really a, a great career that uh, is worthwhile uh, looking into. Um, but we're going to talk more about the the other side right now. Um, maybe how did this. Um how did the, the Elpo start? I mean I, I heard uh, I heard the chat you were having with um with Kevin Tarso that you that you you know that Ada a- Scott from yearly from kind of asked you to maybe you know try to look into something. Give us a little bit of the of the of the of how it was, you know, put together, you know, the and, and then how it kind of built up.
1: Yeah. Well well for me it's always, you know, I I I draw my um i drew a lot from my experience right like i i playing in the nba um opened the eyes to me to like what players actually can do as a group and and how valuable they are and and how appreciated they are right and and i when i went to the nba in 2002 when i was drafted i had no idea what the player association is when when we had our first player association meetings there i I thought that was just the league talking to us right that they had no idea that that's a different kind of entity that takes care of players of players rights and, and players benefits and so on and so on and as the seasons went on i started to understand okay you know that's that's a different entity those guys don't really sometimes see eye to eye with the league they protect players and they don't care about much else and uh, and i kind of started getting interesting about that you know like in europe that doesn't really exist i never had any kind of experience in europe about an entity that would protect players' rights and fight for the for the improvements and and the benefits and and protections of players and all that. So, uh, and, and you know all the programs that, that MBPA offered and, and educational stuff and everything like that. So, once I came back to Europe, I I, I noticed that void right like there's nothing at this top level in your league right I mean Europe you know speaking about your league there's no representation towards the league. Um don't want to be too negative, but, um, you know, the league was making always decisions without any kind of player's input, at least not collective. Um, I know they didn't really want to uh, include any kind of individual opinion. Uh, I know that for a fact. So it was always about if a player gets organized, players get organized, Will this otherwise not not really interested. <clears throat> so it started bothering me, especially as I went towards the end of my career, right? Like noticing players coming in, in le- into the league, leaving the league, but there was never any change as far as playing, having an input. So, um, yeah, when I was, you know, finishing with my career, I had a couple of different options on the table, you know, what I want to do. um, Do I want to stay in basketball? Do I want to do something else? Do I want to go in the direction of NBA um, basketball, which which is still my... My big, uh, my big um, I wouldn't say big dream, but it is one of my goals or one of the things that I would like to pursue at some point is working in the NBA front office. And we'll see if that happens or not. It's not just up to me, obviously, family and everything else has to be taken into account. But let's say there's, that there's, that's where my interest is. And one of the things that was always on my mind was creating a players association at the EuroLeague level. Now, I don't know how Edo Scott got into this. You know, maybe he heard that I was kind of asking around and trying to make this happen. But uh, we start speaking, I want to say, at the end of the season or, st- you know, the start of the season, 17, 18. So 2017, 2018. And, uh, and he was asking me if I had some intention to do that. And I said, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd like to get organized with, uh, with, with the guys, you know, throughout different countries and different uh, different teams. But it was very difficult to do that. Um, so he said, look, why don't you uh, spend the season just traveling around and, and getting opinions and then once you have all these opinions from different players to see how, where this can go, why don't you then knock on our door in your league and see see where you stand? And I, you know, I said, you know what, I'm retired now, I have time, why don't I do that? So I traveled around the season 2017-18 basically visiting all the teams, um, just gathering opinions, um, gathering ideas, seeing if there's interest. was very happy to see that there was an interest, there was just no clear path on how to do that. Right? We're talking about... You know, back then, I still believe it was 16 teams, you know, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it was 18 already, but, you know, no, it was still 16. Um, but, uh, you know, 10, diff- 10 or so different countries, you know, different mm-hmm. teams, you know. It was tough, you know, right, getting everybody on the same page. But, but we got through that initial part. And uh, in 2018, in, at the end of June, um, um, you know, we, uh, we met in Barcelona with, with each player from each team, um, sat down, discussed it. I pre-prepared all the all the legal and, and bureaucratic stuff that I had to 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 um, let's say a uh, form an association if we would gather enough signatures so to say, which we did and uh, and yeah took those signatures back to Germany back to to Frankfurt that's where we're officially established, um, and uh, established the uh, the association so um, that's that's how we got started and um, and uh, yeah that's when we started our first conversation with your early on what needs to be changed and what needs to be improved in order for players to have a bigger say in the league and to have longer and more successful careers, which is, in my opinion, should be the goal of anybody, of um, inclu- you know, working in the, in the league, including the clubs. Well,
0: what would you say were the first, let's say, two, three things uh, that you really wanted to work on uh, in that regard and that you've actually, you know, gotten through and uh and have turned it into let's call it legislation because kind of you know at least uh contract wise so um mm-hmm. that you're that and that you're really proud of that you've been able to accomplish really that much already in, in just really just a, a short amount of time three years
1: yeah well you know first was the first thing with the discussion with your league was okay hi- once I once we gather from from Elpa opinions of players on what needs to be changed as a first step, how do we do that, right? Um, knowing that, you know, only the, the collective bargaining agreement or the EFA as we call it now, Euroleague Framework Agreement, could bring changes basically on the paper where both Player association and the league and the clubs on the other side sign an agreement of what the rules are in the league, right? In two thousand eighteen, we obviously didn't have that, and we knew this is going to be a process to get to that point. You can't just establish association next day, expect to sign the collective bargaining agreement, right? Um, So for us was, to be honest, putting pressure on your league to make some initial improvements for players that are needed now that should be done maybe a decade ago, and also to show to anybody involved in your league that that we're serious about improving the things for players. So it's not just three years sitting around until we negotiate a collective bargaining agreement, but some first initial steps are made. Um, for us, it was all about listening to the players, right? What's important to you guys? That was my, my, my question when I walked into every locker room. Like, what do you guys are most passionate about? What do you guys want to change? So early on, we started talking about really some, in some people's eyes, basic things, but... Like I said before, very necessary for players. So um, I'm not going to go through the whole list because there was there was quite a few things that that we initially presented to Euroleague as you know we call them improvements. Um, but they included you know um, shorter training camp, you know um, you know more controlled practice times, um, you know knowing how how long is the season, how many games players play now in Euroleague, which is one of the most demanding sports leagues in the world, and I'm not. I'm probably not mistaken when I say that. If you think about how long the season is, how many games at a high level players play, and how much travel is included, right? Plus, um, plus they're then, doing that
0: on top of the domestic play as
1: well. Exactly. I mean, all together, right? I'm talking yeah. about the Euroleague yeah. player, right? What well, everything yeah, that sure. he has to do, it's it's you know, it's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then um, you know, so you know, like I said, you know, when it comes to these working conditions, you know, some some initial steps in that direction. Um, the the next one was single rooms for players. You know, players were really passionate about that. They said, hey. You know, we're professional in the second best league in the world we travel like crazy and uh, we keep having rumor's like we're 14 15 year old kids mm-hmm. right um, mm-hmm. so that was, that was one um, and then um, like you mentioned it before you know stickers on the court you know we've seen a lot of examples and we prepared a tape um, for EuroLeague back in 2018 or 19. Um, about all the players that slipped in, mm-hmm. on the stickers, um, you know, either got injured or lost the ball, or you know, missed the last play because they tried to drive and slipped. Like it was hurting the game, and more importantly, it was injuring players in some instances. So all these things we presented to your league. A lot of these things we changed early on. removed the stickers. Now there's rules about it. You know, players got single rooms. You know, practices and and, and training camps more controlled. Um, and those were like those the first initial steps that we made. Um, Really basic, but uh, meant a lot to players. uh, Enough that in the bigger and bigger numbers, the players started to sign up to to the player association, started believing in it. And uh, those were like the first things that we made. And then once we got that done, you know, we, and when I say we, it's us, your league, and and, and the clubs jumped into the collective bargaining uh, negotiation, which lasted for about two years. um, Much longer than we all hoped because the pandemic hit in the middle of it and we had to readjust the whole agreement because the the the, the you know the, the 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 situation in the world and the situation in the in the professional sports whether we like it or not it is different than it was in in pre pandemic time especially in 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 the league like uh, like your league so um it took it took longer but we we signed the agreement um this past summer in july and uh, yeah now we we're having this first for what I was told is the first international sports agreement on that scale in any kind of sport in Europe. So that's, I think that's a big achievement that no other international. I, I, exactly. I, I mean,
0: there. exactly what you said. You look at there's, I mean, okay. It, it includes the, the framework It also includes, a, 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 you know, a, um, a player contract, um, you know, yeah, standard player contract, standard yeah. player contract. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much in there that, you know, really it's, it's, there's so much good stuff uh, to, yeah. to talk about in there. I mean that must have been an amazing feeling then in, in July when you guys said, oh, "You know what? Here's the final yeah, signatures," yeah. and and you know it's to it's, have it, it's to have it done.
1: It it was a big achievement, especially after so much time that we that we put into this because we really started from zero and uh, we had no idea where this is going to take us. Because, like I said, you have to take into account so many different countries and different um, rules and laws and all that. Um, I think that the the agreement is still going to get adjusted. Um, in especially during this first season, we are already talking to clubs about some minor adjustments that we have to make because we we'll, we'll see it and we we'll learn about it and we, we think it should be get adjusted for the benefit of the players and the clubs to make it a, an agreement that is improving things for the EuroLeague. Not just improving things for um, the players, but improving things for the whole league. That's, that's the point of it, right? Like having an agreement that, that allows the, the basketball in this league and wider um, to grow, right? And of course, for, on our side, the the importance is to protect the players rights in this and and to come out of this agreement as, as as best as possible when it comes to what players get right which was which was our concern um so yeah it, it's it, it was a relief um back in july when he signed it but at the same time it it uh, it kind of created this situation now where there's a lot of people that have to make a lot of adjustments because of that agreement whether that's the league whether that's uh, the clubs, whether that's the agents, and at the end of the day, the players. And we're still in this process now, right? Like we're two months into the season, and, uh, and still a lot of, lot of these entities have to adjust to this new agreement. Um, but I, I completely expected that. Um, that's why we didn't have this celebration mode in July when we signed it. We said, now it's going to be time to work for the next year or so to, to make this agreement really, let's say, fall down on the ground and, and, and put the roots down and start growing. And, and most importantly... Um, um, put some examples on what's to come in the future, because I see this as just step one. I don't see this as the end product.
0: You mentioned that it's, that it, there is a benefit for the EuroLeague as well. And, um, and, you know, before you, during your playing career, people in EuroLeague looked at you and said, you're a good player. We like you, you know, and, um, and then, you know, you started to, to do this and, you know, knew that it was, you know, um, the, the, the question is is, is how has how is the interaction how has the accept acceptance, um, you know, been from the side of the Euroleague towards you towards the uh, association maybe uh, over those three years, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, you ah, this is Boki, you know, he he was a star mm. in our league and you know we like him smiles and all that, and then it's like, oh man, what's he doing to us, you know, but like you said, there is a benefit for them as well. How how is the interaction with them? you know, like you said, uh, you know, Edu Scott, uh, who was with your league was, you know, one of the guys who kind of, you know, you know, kind of, you know, not pushed you, but at least gave you a little bit of idea to, to go, you know, how is that, uh, how has the interaction tra- acceptance, what not been from the league side?
1: Well, I, you know, um, you know, early on any, any kind of, let's say project or any kind of thing, you start everything, every, all is goody-goody, right? Everybody's best friends, right? Like, yeah, we'll do this. Sure. You know, um, you know, it's, it's going in a good direction, but then as the issues started to pop up and where, you know, I really, I think the yearly kind of learned early on that I'm really passionate about protecting players. That's where I think we had, you know, butted heads on, on many, many different occasions, which I think it, I believe it made the whole um, process, I think at the end of the day, also the league um, better, right? I think I'm a strong believer into you grow only if you have issues and you actively solve them, right? That's how you grow in anything in life right whether you're talking about basketball career or things in your family or, or business right you need problems you need to have issues that you go through that you learn from that you try to overcome that's how you get better and i think that's the same thing that happened here in with with elpa and with with your league and um, and you know not to mention that we went through the the, the pandemic um you know that was uh, it was there was tough moments in between where we you know, <laughs> I don't know going to go into details, but uh, some not not the nicest words were thrown into each direction, right? Like there was a lot of argument and a lot of different beliefs around how things should be done, and uh, in one way, in a political way, and in a common, in a negotiating kind of way. But on the other hand, you know, sometimes you even with one sentence or one email that you write, uh, it can come out extremely unpleasant for the other side, and that's what's been going on. So. Uh, but I think that's the point of it, right? Like the EuroLeague protects the league and the clubs on one, one side and Elpa protects the players on the others. And in a lot of things, we're going to see eye to eye and we're going to be able to agree on things early on. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we we have, we have start on a completely different sides and uh, it takes us a lot of time or we even never sometimes come together on on whatever the issue might be. I think that's normal. I think that's... That's just the, the nature of, of, of this business. And uh, for me personally, it was a big um, learning experience, especially maybe the first and second year of ELPA, to really see how this business functions, um, to really see how you can achieve some things and what the what the method is to get from point A to point B, point B being the end result of achieving things. Um, but I was lucky enough to surround myself with with the right people and, and uh, the experienced people that, that helped me through the process because at the end of the day, I was still the face of the, of the Elpa, um, but to be honest, there were people behind me who told me what to do and what not to do. I, I could not do this by myself. I'm, I was a, a player with a long career on, on the court, but I had very little or no experience on how things work when you step outside the court and you go negotiate things uh, like, like we did with your uh, with league.
0: And this might be exactly those people that you're talking about. You know, every basketball player has role models. Every coach has role models um, that pattern their game after uh, their coaching style. After you're in a different space in the game right now, you know, you're managing director of a players association, you know, Um, did you, what kind of guys, what, you know, who would you say maybe are some of your let's call them role models uh, in, in this aspect in your life? I mean, you know, obviously you mentioned the players association at the beginning that you didn't know anything about, you know, there's Michael Curry there and Antonio Davis, while you were in the mm. NBA got, you know, uh, Derek Fisher, seven years, Chris Paul, seven years. Who were some of the, let's call them role models in this regard, uh, um, in this aspect in your
1: life? Well, you know, I, uh, before we started with Elpa, the first thing I actually did was one of the first things I did was I, I flew to the States and I met with MBPA, you know, and, uh, Um, You know, Michelle Roberts has been kind enough to really uh, open their doors and and to discuss how they see things, how they operate, um, you know, what the strategies are. Um, You know, I I spoke to their legal team, Ron Klempner, who put together five CBAs for NBA player, dedicated tons of his time to help me early on to see how, uh, to explain me how things should be done. Um, And then once I I started getting to an idea of what, Kind of people, what kind of professionals the MBPA has? I started assembling my own team here in in, in Europe, right, and, and connected with um, some extremely good, I mean, experienced, and and I cannot praise them enough. Two law offices, one for Madrid, um, led by Jose Lasa, and and one in in Frankfurt, led by Alex Engelhardt, who are you know have vast experience in in sports law, and that was needed, right? I, it's not my field, but I needed to equip myself with people who know what can be done what cannot be done, and what experiences say. Um, you know, added people like Andrzej Blažić and, and Valter Klin, you know, Valter being a former Euroleague GM. Andrzej worked in basketball in Slovenian Federation for, for a decade um, and, and then really started pushing forward. So, um, you know, speaking about role models, I don't know if I have, let's say, a, a post-career or a business role model per se, um, but I am a person who is not shy of walking up to people that I know that know more than me and ask for their opinions and their, their experiences. And, and that's what I'm doing. Um, wh- if, whether it comes to, 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 the, to the people in sports uh, sports business, whether it comes directly for people in the National Basketball Association, I mean the, the national players, MBPA, um, NBA included, spoke to a lot of people in the NBA, how they see their opponent, how they see the, well, the opponent, the MBPA, how this dynamic works. Um, you know, former coaches, because they're dealing with players and are current coaches as well. Um, you know, GMs, uh, spoke to some NBA GMs, spoke to the GMs here in Europe. So just learning as much as I can, you know, talking to people, how they see things, what they think can be accomplished, what in their eyes is missing in European basketball and just going from there. You know, that's that's been my biggest, let's say, um, asset was... was Getting experiences, learning from people, you know, um, and not to mention the fact that while I started with Elpo, I was also jumping back into my studies and finished the studies in the in North- Northumbria University in England. With the timeout
0: project. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, to which I'm extremely thankful for. Um, you know, a lot of things happen at once, but I think I, as a as a as a person, I grew grew really fast. I had to. I had no choice. It was kind of like I was thrown into the water and I had to learn how to swim. Um, and that's what happened, and uh, and I think that in a very short time I was able to gain a lot of experience that that helped me going forward.
0: You you played two decades um, as a professional. Um, looking at how the how you know the game is right now, and and, and the you know the the you know Elpa and, and the programs that, that you know that you guys are offering information on nutrition, sports science, and, uh, data science, uh, psychology. You know, in the agreement, you know, days off, um, you know, limits on on, on training camp, uh, medical service improvements, everything like that. Take us, if you were a rookie right now, how do you think your career would be different? And, and maybe in what regards do you think it would be different because of all of the things that are in place right now?
1: You know, all these things are in place to to really improve players' career. And and one of the important things is to to, to prolong players' careers, right? Like you mentioned a lot of things like the performance advisory board that we have and 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 how they how they basically basically been instrumental when we negotiated with your league the medical improvements for players, right? Like what are the, the what should be the first steps and, and how we can protect players' careers. Um, you know, just just having these limitations, um, and these are like, you know, when I'm talking about practice limitations or training camp limitations, it does not mean that the player cannot do more or practice more if he wants to. It's just that, you know, these are the mandatory things that the player has to do, which are the most valuable for for the older players, right? They want the one to be overworked so that they can prolong their careers. Um, but but as a young player, you know, coming into the league, you know, if I compare myself when I was, you know, playing in Benetton back in 2000, 2001, you know, it just seems that it's, not seems, but it's a fact that it's so much more organized. Um, so much more uh, attention is paid to details. Um, you know, the, the technology behind the or the sports science has improved, has vastly improved, and a lot of clubs are, are you know, pushing in that direction to really learn how to load or how to, um, you know, how to have the proper load management so the player can function as for as long as possible, the best as possible. We didn't have that back in in 2000s yeah. or, or you know the generation before me or maybe the players that were right right after me. Um, you know talking about 2000 2005 or so um, even 2010 when i was playing year league it was all about just whatever the 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 club and the coach felt at that time that's what we did there was really no rules you know and and, and a lot of players got bothered by that you know they, they were asking what's the was the reasons behind doing that What's the science behind it you know why should we have do this why should we have that i think those questions now are being eliminated because there's science behind it because there's more professionalism behind it and because there's rules behind it so um, you know the players definitely um, have, all, speaking about Euroleague, have all the tools to, to succeed, right? Like everybody at the end has to prove themselves on the court. But I think that the gap um, that was huge between NBA and Euroleague, you know, 20 years ago, from that standpoint, is 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 smaller. It's not gonna disappear. I think the Euroleague, the NBA, is still making huge improvements in a lot of different areas, but. Um, some things are are already um, – some of those steps have been made in EuroLeague and EuroLeague clubs over the last, I want to say, three, four, five years that are working directly in the direction of prolonging and enhancing players' careers. Something that I think the clubs didn't really think about in the past so much, you know, but now they are. This is the EuroLeague Players Association.
0: Um, but you have members that – and I guess that's kind of the question is that when a player um, – the Euroleague is not a closed league. You have fluctuality, You have teams coming in. You have teams going out. Uh, you have players joining teams that are that were not a Euroleague uh, team before. Um, I guess you know, kind of the question is: is what happens? Uh, what happens to a player who was in the Euroleague and you know wants to become a member of the Euroleague Players Association, but then joins that following season a a non Euroleague team? Um, or, or there's just a player in Europe that wants to be part of the Euroleague Players Association, but they're not a, 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 on a on a Euroleague team.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What is? How does that all work?
1: Yeah, um, you know that's that's a that's a good question that we also discussed when we started Elpa and when we, um, um, you know, wanted to see how we can we can um, you know let's say continue to work with players that are in and out of the league because. You know the league is not a close league. Uh, there's teams coming in, teams leaving every season. Um, you know the Euro Cup is there. You know another league that covers a huge amount of teams. And and how could we reach all the players? So, um, you know we knew that we can't start just all over the place. And and and, uh, and we need to focus on 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 a certain number of teams, a certain number of players, which was us was Euro League. Uh, we also believe that if we are changing positively, changing so some things in Euro League um, um, for the players that other leagues and other teams and and players in other leagues will see those changes and and, and ask for them and and fight for them. Um, So, um, you know, for us was initially all about the EuroLeague players. And, um, um, you know, we do have uh, a status called associated member for all the players that uh, played in EuroLeague and became our members, but then leave the league. So those guys can continue to, work you know, Use some of our services and, and attend our seminars and, and be and participate in that kind of way. And any, any kind of um, a service or partnership that we made, any kind anything that we offer to our members, we offer to, for, to former members as well. Um, you know, we have discussed already uh, internally um, the the possibility of of adding Euro Cup players um, into the association. Um, it's a little bit more tricky there because there's even greater number of teams that are in and out of the league every mm-hmm. season. So it's mm-hmm. very difficult to, um, let's say, build lasting relations with uh, with the players or with the clubs for that matter, right? So um, there's, there's a challenge there. But um, we are in discussion to offer at least some of the basic services that we offer to our members in EuroLeague, also to EuroCup players, knowing that both competitions are under the same roof. So for us, it would be... Um, um, things like second medical opinion or overdue payment services um, and things like that um, that we already could offer to players now um, so that uh, the the cup players now so that we can also seize those players and they don 't feel they don 't feel left out but you know i'm not i 'm not hiding the fact that our main concern are you know the best players in Europe, which are the players in your league
0: you you mentioned um you mentioned uh, it's not a closed league, uh, and and I was just wondering what your, your, your thoughts are um, on on that sort of idea that you know it's you know it's still kind of in there, it's still floating around. There's also an NBA Europe that's kind of uh, also sort of still in, in in the realm, and you know, and the thing is, is that um, you know you have these teams that are still playing in there domestically, and and uh, so. You know, what are your thoughts on, in general about sort of this? Um, I don't know how serious it is uh, to make it a closed league, but just your thoughts on
1: that. Well, I, I think that EuroLeague is definitely going through some through some changes, right? I mean, we'll see those changes, I think, come to fruition in the next maybe season or two, you know, that that some teams, um, you know, are, are very vocal or some clubs are very vocal about um, asking for some of those changes. Whatever they are, um, you know, we'll be – We'll be notified in due time because I don't think they completely know in which direction they want to go. Um, they need to first, you know, gather opinions and, and, uh, and, and choose a clear direction of the league that the clubs would like to push for. Obviously, our job is going to be to protect players in whatever change is coming and to be, you know, um, included in these conversations and to be able to voice our opinions on, on these changes. Uh, we understand that the business has to become more profitable that that's been an issue for a lot of clubs and it's it's um, you know currently not uh, not another sustainable business that, that that needs to change um, you know whether that means a closed league or not honestly I'm not too preoccupied with this um, I will say that a lot of players in the past, you know, and maybe the previous generation, including myself, we always liked the idea of a close league because it would kind of be a closer to the NBA, right? And you have mm-hmm. this top 18, top 20, 24, whatever it is, Europe, um, teams in Europe competing with themselves only and, and really battle it out, so to say. Um, you know, but whether that is good for basketball or not, and whether that really will help grow the game and, and grow the business of basketball is something that. Um, would have to be tested, you know, and in, in, in the real world, and see how that functions. And Europe is different than the NBA or the states for the USA, for that matter. And uh, uh, it's not a simple copy paste to say that whatever works in the USA is going to work here. Some aspects of the league, yes, but not all of them. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. You know, ideally, you know, we, we pushed the League in many different occasions to uh, find solutions with FIBA. You know, now if NBA is including these stocks so much better, um, you know, I think that everybody needs to get on the same page. Everybody needs to make decisions that are, you know, the best for them, of course, but at the same time, think broadly, think for the growth of the game um and uh, of course you know think about the players as well when all these changes come um but they will come i think that there's going to be some some decisions made in the next year or two i think that that uh, it's needed um and i think that uh, um you know whatever we've been seeing over the five years or ten years or so um the battles with fiba and the unsolved issues um and player releases and um and all that stuff it's it's it, it has to get solved but it is not easy um You know, we even, when we talk to players, there's different opinions. Some players like that better, some players like this better. It's very difficult to say um, that all the players in the EuroLeague would like to have just one thing changed, right? When it comes to, let's say, domestic league or or, um, national leagues, right? It's different opinions. And that's why I think that a lot of people have to calmly sit down behind the table, put everything on the table. And really discuss with uh, with a big picture in mind to see what works, what doesn't work, what risks are we willing to take, and what options or ideas should be forgotten. And uh, I think that that has to happen.
0: You mentioned you mentioned the FIBA dispute, and I mean at at a media roundtable in in 2017, Eurobasket 2017, uh, the late uh, Patrick Bowman, Secretary General of FIBA, was was there and and. Uh, uh, the question i asked him was what does the rest of the world think about this uh you know this dispute um and he said they're sick of it they don't care you know and it's it's basically just a, a few teams that um uh you know that that are 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 fighting D- do you foresee that it, that it'll be resolved I mean, and and this coming from somebody who you know played many 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 years um um for the national team. Did you, did you even play in the windows before? Cause I know the windows.
1: Yeah. I, I did play in the windows before I went to the NBA, which was like, I don't even know when was the first time I played in the windows, maybe like 2000 or something like this, mm-hmm. maybe in 1999. Um, a couple of times that I joined the national team. And, um, back then there was windows during the season. You know, the, the windows are tricky. You know, it's, it's, I completely understand the model. I understand why FIBA likes that and i of course understand that and see that it has been a success in other con- continents you know the issue here is that in europe you do have this really strong league mm-hmm. that puts already so much pressure and so much demand on players when it comes to games and travel now to throw into windows during the season it just adds to that um and without changing the current model of euro league or changing the number of games to just add more games on top of the players players don't don't Necessarily like that they don't they don't see that as a a benefit for them right they don't see that as a right opportunity to represent the country knowing also that the NBA players are not participating in these Mm -hmm. windows right Right. and 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 probably never will or never say never but you know you know what I'm trying to say the NBA has its own way and it's a closed league and, and they do things their way. So, um, you know, finding the, the solution here is not easy. I think if the solution was easy and if everybody could keep their position in this, then that would be done, you know, a while, a while ago. But it is a conflict. Um, and I think everybody will have to lose something to gain something. So, um, you know, when, when, uh, when, you know, you mentioned that, that uh, you know, your answer to you was that everybody is, is sick of the, the issue already and it's, 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 uh, it's already something that people kind of don't care about that's exactly true because i think that it's hurting basketball and a lot of people just don't want to deal with the politics of it anymore you know um and that's not good for basketball i think that the solution here is to really think how can we grow this sport how can everybody um, gain from this how can everybody improve how how we can all grow in this that's once you find the answer to that, that's the that's the right solution. That's the way to go. If you're only taking care of your own, but you're hurting the other side or hurting the, the game of sp- the the in sport of basketball, that's not the right solution. And I'm not just talking about uh, the yearly here. I'm talking about both sides. I think that both sides needs to make concession in order to to make this work. Um,
0: I guess kind of last touchy. Topic, whatever you want to call it, or whatever, but um, the shareholders of the Euroleague have decided to um, uh, to uh, have Jordi Bertomeo, the CEO of the Euroleague, uh, step down at the, um, I believe, at the end of the season. That's right, right mm-hmm. at the end of- yep. um, Just wondering your thoughts on that in general, and, and and maybe the the legacy that you think he leaves, and obviously not knowing what uh, you know what will. You know who will come into his place, and you know what that will look like. Uh, but what do you think maybe is an opportunity that this opens up?
1: Yeah, um, you know, uh,
0: not saying that that uh, was was closed-minded about this or that or anything like that, mm-hmm. but just you know, that new leadership sure. and and whatnot. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, I think that your league has made huge progress you know since, since its establishment in, in i believe 2000 or 2001 <clears throat> and uh, and yeah 20 years later i mean we are seeing the second best league in the world right hands down i mean the the product is 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 great um, you know it's it's so interesting to, to to hear the thoughts of the people who are not from european not involved in european basketball and they see a game whether on tv or, or live and a lot of people are so surprised how not this is not a, a more profitable business right how this 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 league is struggling because the product itself the game the competition the fans the area the full arenas all that it's it's amazing right so i think that you know Jordi did an amazing job over the 20 years and brought the league to this point i don't necessarily disagree that somebody else should maybe step in and and take this forward um I don't know what the clubs are intending to do here you know how they want to restructure the management of the league how they want to uh, who they want to appoint to lead this forward um, you know what kind of additional changes they want to make at this point everything is kind of you know murky still and there's some rumors floating around but but nothing substantial I think that's going to take time for that um, I think that's why uh, the clubs are going to definitely use this season to um, you know I believe in the summer make some of those some of those changes um, and uh um, that, that are that are needed. And I think that uh, if they're going to be thought out well, and I think the, there's going to be a clear path and a clear plan, I think the league and the clubs and, of course, the players can benefit from this. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're in, like I said earlier, you know, we're in a time where there's some changes coming for sure. Um, and uh, I keep saying this, you know, for us, it's, our main concern is that we keep the status of a player that we've achieved so far into whatever different kind of version of the league we have we have next and by different version i just don't mean i don't mean like a grand scale changing of the league but i mean a different version with potentially a different different uh, person that leads this whole process and uh, and uh, yeah we have to make sure that the player in this changes the players are protected that's that's the main thing
0: i i know you have plenty of things to do and, and i just wanted to touch on one one more thing which i, I know you're gonna i'm gonna get a smile uh, as soon as you hear it and and uh, you had a, you had a huge summer in terms of, you know, the, the, the framework re- agreement and everything else that goes around that. The summer also included your native Slovenia, uh, qualifying for the Olympics, uh, you know, Luca, uh, let's, let's say Lucas. Um, and give uh, Rupnik and Bissin credit as well, and, and and everybody else, you know, Dragic and 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 um, and Blazic and all those guys. You know, I am not leaving anybody out. Um, mm-hmm. but, but getting to the Olympics and then the show that Luka and everybody put on in Japan—how much fun did was that for you? As someone who's played for uh, Slovenia so much, and then um, and then maybe just kind of on top of that, what does what does Luka Doncic mean to? um to that country. It's not a big country, Slovenia is not a big country. So what does he mean um what does it mean for that country to have a a a, a superstar of that level?
1: You know um when it, when it comes to national team, you know, it's 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 so enjoyable um to watch this the new the next generation that came after us to to take this a step further, right? Um what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the when Slovenia got independent in in you know, the early 90s and then until basically you know 2005 or so 2007 when we 2009 when we first started getting close to winning the medal at european championship which was like a 15 year process and a lot of a couple of generations have changed uh during that process was like a huge step forward for slovenian basketball um and then we kind of felt it's gonna plateau right at around 2015 you know we had a 2013 EuroBasket in slovenia mm-hmm almost got the medal you know lost to France in quarterfinals then ended up being uh, you know fifth at the end but we felt we had the talent to to with a little bit more luck to win the medal finally right and in 2015 nothing substantial happened the team had a pretty bad eurobasket uh, and we kind of thought okay now the generation is switching and you know if you look at the names at that time the guys were not so many guys in the nba not so many guys in euro league the talent was not as good and we thought the slovenian you know national team basketball is kind of going to plateau but then that's when Goran made another step and became an all-star during that time um uh, or was getting closer to becoming an all-star and then that's when Luca, you know came to the stage and those two guys um together with coach uh, Kokoshko, which was a great selection as a as a as a head coach um really pushed this team to another level right to winning Eurobasket in 2017 which was in a lot of people's eyes a big surprise um, but if you think if you look at the way how they played it was completely well completely deserved nobody could can argue that and then to take it you know four years later to be in olympics and basically have a shot of winning an, an olympic medal and uh with a little bit uh you know a little bit i would say less burden on Luca. if there was mm-hmm. one more player that could take some pressure off of him i think the medal would be there Luca just had to carry this team pretty much on his own um, not that I want to say that the players are not quality players that were with him, but that's just the reality. Luka was by far the player that carried his team more than any any player, maybe in maybe the history of the Olympics, so to say. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, to see the Slovenian basketball national basketball team com- continue to grow and to continue to achieve results and to continue to bring the country together. Uh, while we're going through a lot of the political, you know, turmoil back home, which I'm not going to bother you with, but sports being the one entity that brings everybody together, it really brings a lot of joy to us. It's so important for us. And, uh, sometimes I question whether the people in Slovenia actually realize the, the, the importance, the value, the the achievements that Luca is making for himself and for the sports of basketball and for Slovenia. Uh, I hope the, I hope the people do because he's uh, one of a kind. You know, he's a player that is a generational player, um, uncomparable. I mean, we can discuss about European greats that came to the NBA before, but nobody's achieved so much at such a young young age as Luca has. Nobody, and who knows what else awaits him? He's only, I believe, 22. So um, you know, he has so much more in front of him. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a special time for Slovenian basketball to have. Um, you know, one of the best players in the world. Um, wearing also a national team jersey that's huge
0: all right uh, Bokin Akbar managing director of the uh, EuroLeague Players Association thank you for so much of your time appreciate it uh, uh, as I said at the beginning it's always a, a joy to talk to you talk basketball talk everything so thanks again for your time
1: thanks David thanks